Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. As many people in the autism community know, inclusion is a large and important topic. Art is also a topic that comes up in many conversations. But what about inclusion in the arts? In today's episode, we're speaking with Kelsey Brown. She's a speech-language pathology student, access advocate, and children's book author. She currently resides in Boston, Massachusetts, where she's a master's candidate in communication disorders at Emerson College and is interning with the Augmentative Communication Program at Boston Children's Hospital. She's also spent the last year as the Access and Inclusion Apprentice at Imagination Stage. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us. I want you to tell everyone about the way that you started or what prompted you to start your journey into studying communication disorders or speech pathology? What did that look like for you? Sure. Thanks for having me. So I actually have known that I wanted to do speech therapy since around the sophomore year of high school. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I was in a pretty uh, rigorous academic program where a lot of people really did know what they wanted to do that early. And I kind of thought about, well, I don't really want to be a doctor, and I don't exactly want to be a teacher, but I do love living in those kinds of worlds. And so (laughs) someone just recommended, well, have you looked at speech therapy? And it really just clicked. I actually went to speech therapy when I was younger. Mm-hmm. My mom actually found my uh, scores, which were so fun to get to look at now, knowing how to interpret them and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went to a program between my sophomore and junior year of high school at um, Augustana College in Illinois. It's a really small school. They offered I think it was one or two week long program where we stayed in the dorms and it was called True Life, the day in the life of a speech language pathologist. Cool. Um, so we just really went and started learning about um, the whole breadth of the field and I got really geeked and was all in <laughs> from that point. <laughs> That's awesome. So you came back and you told all your friends and your teachers and your parents, this is what I want to do. And mm-hmm. so... I think the next stage after you graduated from high school, you went to the University of Georgia, right? That's right. And so you had this, okay, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. And then did that change or what happened in that path? So I went um, to University of Georgia and I wanted, um, I've always loved Lexington. I'm from Lexington originally. And I knew that I wanted to live there you know, long-term, so I wanted to do something else for the first few years after high school, so I went to Georgia. Um, One thing that really drew me to their program is that their communication sciences and disorders department is within the College of Education. Um, Mm, It it kind of fits in a different world at every school, and so I really liked that my prereqs were going to be mostly in College of Ed, and that I would have a little bit more experience in that field. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started getting into the classes, and I thought, wow, this is theater. Okay. <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, I grew up working, um, doing a lot of volunteering and being in shows at Lexington Children's Theater. 
Mm-hmm. And I loved assistant teaching. That was one of my favorite things. But I just had this mindset of, oh, I'm going to college. Time to get serious. You know, no more time for theater. Mm-hmm. And when I got into the classes, I realized so many of the goals are the same um, with communication. You're working on listening to your scene partner. You're working on reacting to things that may be unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um You're working on uh, not letting things phase you in the moment. Just keep going Mm -hmm. um, and taking care of the other person in that relationship, as well as the actual mechanics of understanding your body and your voice and uh, taking care of those instruments. Sure. And so, so much of it was related that I went over as a, I guess I was finishing my sophomore year of college and went over to the theater department and said, hi, you don't know me. I'm about to be a junior, but I am, I want to be a speech therapist. And I think that I'd really like to take some of your classes. Can I declare a major just to take some of your classes? (laughs) (laughs) And the lady that I ended up talking to said, oh my gosh, my daughter has autism and she loves her speech therapist and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you not only get to take those classes but you finish the major oh awesome and we did we sat down and um one semester I say I uh Hermione Grangered it I actually took two classes that happened at the same time uh, and just kind of like went to one sometimes and went to the other other times. It's a logistic um, nightmare. <laughs> oh, 100%. But we made it work, and I feel like it's really informed my philosophy as a clinician. And once I got into grad school, I think that it's really enriched my experience. Oh, gosh, absolutely. That's amazing. I love that story. I guess in your classes, and I think mm-hmm. I, I think you're spot on with how, you know, theater, because I, I also have a theater background and, um, oh, no yeah, and improv background and spent years in New York City and Los Angeles um, working in the industry. And you're right. It's being able to be completely in tuned with your body and being able to use your your voice and your body both as instruments to morph into a character and stay on the path and and provide gifts to your fellow actors and Mm -hmm. I think the way that that marries into any type of therapy really is just amazing and then especially in the autism community I know my son who's five and a half absolutely loves and enjoys the art, whether it's paintings or drawings or, and he's become quite the little comedian as his personality has developed. And I, so I've often thought to myself, oh my gosh, I wonder if he definitely has that part of me where, you know, he wants to perform or anything like that and being able to provide him access into programs such as you know the children's theater and things like that can you tell me a little bit about maybe your experience so far in working with kind of art inclusion and what that looks like and how parents may be able to find out how to get involved of course After graduation, I decided to defer my acceptance to graduate school um, to do a one-year 
um, apprenticeship in access and inclusion at a children's theater. So I was at Imagination Stage outside of D.C., where all of their programming is fully available to any child of any ability. And one of my jobs was to um, talk to parents and sometimes teachers or grandparents ahead of time and find out what are the accommodations that we can make to help your child fully participate in this art form. We don't want to just say that we're inclusive by bringing in all types of children into our classroom. We want everyone to fully be able to interact with whatever the class is. So we saw a really wide range of students, and we had a really wide selection of classes. So for our classes up until middle school-ish, all of our classes were inclusive. There were any, any student could come to and sign up for any of them. Starting in high school, any of our classes or conservatories were open to anyone, but we also offered what we called access-only classes, and those were for older individuals that wanted that safe space to be with other students who required accommodations um, Mm -hmm. and maybe learn in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. So we had audition-only conservatory, which was a two-year program where... um, High schoolers would audition, and um, at the end, they put on a show. So the whole first year was about learning yourself as an actor and working as an ensemble. And then the second year, they put on a show. And uh, this year, it was so exciting. I just got to see the pictures from my group. They did a version of The Tempest. And so, um, like, we had one student who is minimally verbal, and he actually used some of the drumming techniques that I taught last year to be kind of like a call to action person and so he had a drum and would transition every scene with him kind of leading the other characters oh awesome Um, and so we really do look to find the strengths of each individual and find their way to put it into the story as opposed to saying oh this is so hard why can't we just you know plug everyone into these specific parts that's so cool. I love that. The whole time that I've been in theater, I never really heard someone explain it in that way. Every performance, it's like, you know, when you were little, someone has to be the tree, you know, on stage. And you're like, oh, I really don't want to be the tree. But the tree is so important, too. It's a great way to include absolutely everyone at whatever their ability and make them proud for their role that's so awesome and it's it's just it's not something that we've seen a lot until kind of recently but as creative professionals you know imagination is the job it is your job to be imaginative and work with students to find their strengths and their challenges and um, put people in perspectives that challenge them. And there's no reason why students of all abilities can't access that. Well, imagination, I think, at least very early on for my son, who's five and a half now, is it was and sometimes is a struggle Mm -hmm. because a lot of times he wants to use toys in a very functional way instead of in an imaginative way. You know, the the two Mm -hmm. characters or the two 
Lego people talking to each other in a scene on the floor with other different Legos and, you know, how do we prompt that imagination in them if that's one of the weaknesses that they have? Mm -hmm. So how do you bring that out? Yes, so one thing that I really love to do, whether um, it's when I was teaching music and movement classes or when I was at Imagination Stage in our younger classes, or now when I'm uh, visiting different groups, is I like to do um, sensory storytelling. And you really show that your young people in your class that books are an immersive and interactive experience. So, for example, if you're reading a book and there's a page about water, you Mm -hmm. might put the book down and then bring out a big blue parachute and everybody do the water and make a big water and make a little water um, and maybe play ocean sound um, and introduce these elements one at a time so that they're not overwhelming, but Mm -hmm. that you actually have those physical and tangible sensations that go along with what you're reading or the activity that you're doing, I think enables children to access that better and to model what that imagination looks like. You know, we can pass around sandpaper to everyone and they can say, oh, you use this to build stuff. But if you can model for them, oh, but you know what? I'm getting hot. Yeah. Do you see that camel? I think we're in the desert. Have you felt this sand that's on our feet? And really give the visualizations and the something tangible to touch in the body language. I mm. feel that, that when you really embody all of that, it really can help develop those skills. That's really cool. I want you to like come and work with my son. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. Well, in presenting it in such a fun way, all too often times, some of the therapies can become a bit mundane or intense. And I think Mm -hmm. that those are absolutely important in the therapy process, but also just having fun with that because even adults, we can learn through having fun as well. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's how we prefer it, right? (laughs) You learn so much better by having a full, fun experience. Yeah, and just hands-on. Alex is definitely a hands-on learner. As far as auditory, and I and myself am like that, I could never do the books on tape. I just, Mm -hmm. I, I can't do that. But you put a tangible book in front of me or something I can see or put my hands on and it's it works a lot better. So as far as incorporating that into language, I know one of the important things that you wanted to do was make sure that you provided a further engagement to mm-hmm. children through the writing of a book. And describe for us how that all came about and what that process has been like for you, maybe what you've learned and what you've experienced. Yes, of course. So when I was working at the theater, a lot of our students, the accommodations that they needed at school were different than the accommodations they needed in a theater classroom. They, you know, were up and moving around and, you know, doing things differently than sitting at school for six hours at a table. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a lot of our students, breaks were the main accommodation that they needed. And my boss, Katie Cadell, who is absolutely fabulous, would always say that her brain is at its best after finding a moment of pure joy. Wow. And that's cool. So, yeah. And you just think about it, you know, after your sports team wins or after you've just done and you've gone and done your favorite workout class, mm-hmm. that's when you feel ready to conquer the world. And that's when you can go and really dig in and engage. So I thought a lot about breaks and how we were giving our students breaks. And, you know, sometimes I would go into classrooms and see a student like on a beanbag in the corner of the room. Because that's what they normally do for a break. Mm -hmm. And I would think about it and I'd say, you know what? That's not really giving them a break. Yes, it's removing them from the direct stimuli of being in with all of the other bodies and from having these demands on them. But they're still in that space. They're still not necessarily getting that recharge time. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was thinking about how You know, through the years, I've been in a lot of different classroom settings, and the best teachers just instinctively know the energy of their room, and they can shape it, and they can tell when things are getting, you know, a little bit, like I say, scribbly, when you can see the energy radiating off of your students, then they know the techniques and the strategies to pull that back in. But that takes years of practice. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what kinds of tools were out there for parents, caregivers, new teachers, therapists, maybe people who don't have that training in how that they can learn alongside their children of how to shape that energy. Mm -hmm. And out of all of that thinking, I was like, well, you know what? There should be a book about this. Why is there not a book about this? That's awesome. And I really, I couldn't find one. And so I wrote a little poem and then I said, oh, okay, who am I to write a book? Uh, no, I'm going to set it aside. Uh, good thought, but I got too much going on. And then over the months, it just kept kind of nagging at me and I kept thinking about it. So I um, talked to a lot of my coworkers and some friends and asked them what they thought of it and they were all so encouraging um so I talked to my uh one of my best friends Joseph Wrightson and I said would you be interested in trying something I I don't know (laughs) what I don't know what this is gonna look like I don't know what the timeline is I don't know anything at this point but I know I I need an illustrator for this is gonna work and he jumped on board we got really excited and we just did the thing. And here we are. Um, It's about to release May 7th. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to share it with uh, quite a few classrooms. And it's just, it's really exciting to get to share this work and to, um, you know, spend time with classes, uh, reading and showing them how fun reading can be. Mm, Yeah. Um, So, yeah. That's, that's great. And again, it's, along the your same path of work and you're engaging in the students and you know going into the classrooms and it's all about really just starting conversation with the little ones you know whether 
they're typical or atypical, whatever the the label that you want to to give them. It's just um, it's encouraging reading and then opening up a whole new world for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what we say that you know everyone needs a breath sometimes, even pirates and explorers. This book isn't made for one particular kind of kiddo, and we have featured a lot of different kiddos, whether that's race or um, a disability or an accommodation that they have um, throughout the book because we want people to know that this book is for everyone. Yeah, that's great. And kind of going back a little bit to what you're also doing, you don't have any wasted time, I'm sure. You're a very, (laughs) very busy person, which I think is great. true. I'm kind of the same way. I can't sit still for very long. Part of what you're doing is also interning at the Boston Children's Hospital, I believe. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, as part of being in grad school, we have a different placement every semester. And this is a super special one I applied to and I'm so lucky to be a part of. Um, I'm in the Augmentative Communication Program, um, which is... Um, an outpatient program, so we have all sorts of individuals and even adults that come, and it's for people who are minimally verbal, Mm -hmm. and we see students of all abilities, we see students with all different backgrounds and different diagnoses, Mm -hmm. and the goal is to see how we can give them more access to language than what they already have. So we're doing everything from picture communication systems to low-tech devices, like like if you watch Speechless, uh, mm-hmm. like what Micah Fowler's character uses on Speechless, the communication board, um, mm-hmm. all the way to pretty advanced systems like on iPads or um, using eye gaze technology. Mm-hmm. So every day I'm getting to see people communicate for the first time. And wow, that's so cool. It's so cool, and it's so great to see how we can use this technology that sometimes feels like a burden in our society or that it's, you know, pulling us away from work or it's making us less social. And But every day I get to see this technology being used in a productive way and seeing, you know, our students aren't passive users of technology they are so active and involved, and they truly are learning another language. These systems are not easy, and they're doing it, and they're, you know, at school, taking AP bio with one switch of their arm, and it's just, it's really shown me the breadth of communication and how important it is that we give everyone a voice. Yeah, and I think a lot of times in autism, for sure, we have a lot of kiddos that do not have a voice, and mm-hmm. at least vocally. I think that we can all have a voice, you know, through our body, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say. And it's so heartbreaking to think that all of these things can be going through their head, and that's one of the things that's so frustrating for them is that they have so many things that they want to say, but they can't. And so mm-hmm. providing them a way to do that is absolutely critical. That's an amazing yeah, I mean, program. It, it's hard. It's a challenge. This is not, um, you know, a miracle solution. You don't set one of these 
devices in someone's hands and automatically they have, you know, super language skills. It is a process and it's a really exciting process to be part of. So what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) You have all of these things. You know, I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up. That's not going to happen. But, I mean, you have all of these different paths. You have so many different opportunities. What is the, you know, one or two things that you really just want to focus on? So um, I definitely want to do speech therapy, and I am, I'm very interested in assistive technology. So I think at this point, that is where I'm leaning Mm -hmm. um, within the speech world. And then I also want, I want to come back to Kentucky, and I want to help be an advocate for access, um, to make sure that all kids have access in um, arts programming and sports programming and uh, you know, cooking classes and mm-hmm. anything, anything that uh, you know, Central Kentucky has to offer. I want it to be offered to everyone, and I want to be the person that um, helps make that happen. Well, I will help you. I'll be right there by your side to make sure that happens as well. So, will you be working with schools, theaters? Um, what does that process look like for you? So access or arts access or access consulting is a relatively new field. And so I'm hoping to use my position as a speech therapist and as an author um, to kind of put my foot in the door. And so anyone that will have me, whether that's theaters asking about sensory friendly performances mm-hmm. or that's, you know, some after school organization asking for training for their staff. I think that it's a really flexible field, and I think that it really stepping in and being the person that says, like, hey, you know, have we started a board? You know, what kind of, you know, what kind of individuals are you looking to serve, and have you asked those individuals? Have you reached out to those communities? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of being that person that helps facilitate those conversations and decide what's right for that organization. That's so cool. I, I know in Kentucky, I mean, Lexington, so you're going to be coming back to Lexington. I'm in Lexington already. Mm-hmm. And I you know just alone in our community, there's so many people that are craving for access into things like that. And so that will be a tremendous resource for them to know that there is a person there, a consultant that will be kind of leading the way and making sure that their children have access into all of those different kinds of programs. It's and like I said, wonderful. it's not it's not a one person job, you know, it's it takes asking parents and individuals and community members what the services what the services need, what they're looking for, how mm-hmm. we can best accommodate their children because this looks different in every community, in every population, in every place. Sure. It's definitely something that, that's needed worldwide, but you're going to make a huge impact, and I want to be right there with you um, making sure that that happens. And Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> well, Kelsey, I really appreciate so much you taking the time out of your super busy schedule. I know you're going 100 miles an hour in four different directions, and um, I love that about you. I love your passion, and just 
you have so much knowledge right now at such a young age and to see how you're going to be using that knowledge and experience is just really exciting and I'm so glad that you joined us today and shared a little bit of that knowledge with us. I know that we could probably talk for days and you could enlighten us all. We'll definitely have to continue this conversation for sure. And just thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been so fun. Inclusion in the arts is so important for artists and performers of all backgrounds. Every artist, no matter what their background or disability, can share their diverse range of experiences and talents with others. Every artist can be celebrated, and we can all learn about and appreciate their gifts. Thanks so much for joining us today, and thank you again for being a part of my Autism Tribe.